Thanks for downloading this podcast, which is for personal use only. All contents are copyright Radio Show Limited and must not be reproduced, rebroadcast or used in any form without permission. For contact details, go to www.radiolamon.com. Radiolamon.com. Real World Road Tests. Hello there, this is John Hindorf and another Radio Lamon Real World Road Test. And today we're looking at two famous British marks and how they have approached the concept of providing a four-door, four-person saloon that can carry four adults in comfort and cover huge distances at speed and in style. The two manufacturers we're talking about are Jaguar, now owned by Tata, of course, the Indian concern who produced the world's cheapest car. Well, this is one of the most expensive Jaguars that we've ever seen at a tad over £990,000 for the XJ long wheelbase supercharged four-door saloon. And if that is in the silver corner, as it is, that's the colour of the car, in the black corner is the Aston Martin Rapide, an extension of the Aston Martin sports car line and that very clever aluminium chassis has been stretched to put another couple of doors and another couple of seats on top of the Vantage and the DBS shape of cars that we are so familiar with. Now, as you can probably hear, we're outside Hindhoff Towers. If you know anything uh, about us, you know that we've got a river and a weir uh, next to us and the two cars look very very different indeed sitting out here on the drive the Jaguar is a shape that I've never particularly liked although I have to say in the longer wheelbase form with most of the extra inches uh, in that back door area I do think it's made the car's proportions work a lot more there's just something about the design of the car that I can't quite get my head around. Ian Callum, the man behind the designs of Jaguar, says it's a move forward for Jaguar to push the brand forward and to attract new, younger Jaguar drivers of the future. Well, maybe I'm too much of a purist. I used to own a six-cylinder XJ, but this one perhaps is just a step too far for me. The bluff grille at the front is very much a styling feature. It's very upright. It dominates the front of the car. And whilst the headlights cut back into the front wings certainly give the car a mean and purposeful stance, it's really at the back that it doesn't work for me. As I walk down the liquid silver, as that's what it's called, flanks of the Jaguar to here, the back window has been made to look like it's wrapped around by piano black inserts on the rear pillars of the car and at the rear itself well it just looks almost not quite finished to me it has grown on me in the time that we've had the car and certainly from the inside and let's jump in the inside of the Jaguar now it is uh, it does remind me rather of Jags of old and that may surprise one or two people because this is very much new and up to date as far as the interiors concerned the old Hindhoff test of being able to sit behind the seat when it's set for yourself is not a problem here with the long wheelbase car so let's install ourselves in the XJ 
and as you can imagine it's everything you might expect lots of piano black uh, as it seems that uh, everything dictates nowadays the dashboard very much up to date very much high tech uh, this is actually not a dashboard at all it's just a screen and that is one of the problems I have with this when it comes up they look like sort of chronograph dial faces from an expensive uh, expensive watch but the grey on dark don't quite work for me and they also seem to be a bit sluggish it's almost a, a cartoon style dial now as that is a virtual dial you might have thought you could have selected the different functions etc but that's not the case as yet in this Jaguar again maybe I'm too much of a purist but I like to see the dials in front of me however everything else is very good indeed and this uh, satellite navigation system with built-in uh, digital radio and also entertainment system for the back seats all controlled from here or if you're sitting in the back there's a very very nice uh, black control unit that works the excellent sound system it's all pretty intuitive and the nice thing about this is this double view dual view screen which means i as a driver can be watching the sat nav or making changes to the radio while the passenger has something entirely different either the digital television which by the way is the best i have ever seen in a car in terms of quality and reception on the move uh, or even a dvd or a film or via, of course, the speakers or the infrared headsets that comes with the car. Two screens in the back as well, also independently controllable. And everything pretty much where you'd expect it to be. The rotary gear knob is something that uh, is fairly new to Jaguars and it does add a bit of interest to what goes on as it pops up. Everything feels nice and good and pretty well engineered, to be honest. Uh, the surroundings are exactly as you'd expect from effectively a sports limousine, if that is a category of car. All right, let's jump out of this one and jump into the Aston Martin. Extricate myself from there and uh, walk around to the Rapide. Now, the Rapide is a very, very different beast, as we said, based on the sports cars that Aston Martin have been exciting us with for the past few years. And the moment you walk up to this car, it has some kind of presence. Indeed, quite a lot of people in the time that we've had this car haven't realised straight away that it's a four-door. Marek Reichman, the man who does the designs for Aston Martin, is very clever at playing with light on the car. For example, these dents in the bonnet that are actually concave when the light shines on them makes them look like they're sitting up and there's actually a bigger bonnet bulge than there is in the car the swage line down the side and these beautiful hips on the car the flanks above the rear wheels really make this a very elegant car it's a very low car and the use of accentuating brushed metal around the window area that in the dark makes it just like you look like you've got one long window front to back really visually pull the roof line down but in fairness the roof is pretty low as well let's jump inside i should mention by the way that the back of the car is all dbs with the white colored uh the white colored uh, rear lights with the leds the front end, very Aston Martin. You know exactly what it is, that low snout. And a relatively long bonnet, which contributes to the 
proportions of the car. Uh, let's just jump in and get behind the wheel. Gather up all my cords here. Now, one of the features that I really like about this car is it's, it has what some people might say is an old-fashioned quarter light. And uh, the little triangular piece of glass at the front doesn't open, but the, it does move slightly so that the winds the window can make the proper seal against the pillars the roof pillars well here we are inside and again much as you would expect and indeed much as you've seen if you've sat in any aston martin over the last three or four years the cabin is dominated by the center console which runs completely front to back and indeed between the front the, the rear seats as well as the front seats and we'll talk about the back in a moment the instrument binnacle far more traditional than the jaguar with the contra rotating twin dials the speedo on the left going clockwise the rev counter on the right going anti-clockwise actually look very similar to the effect the jaguar are trying to replicate in virtual reality but these are there they look great and they just have almost a, a, an air of an event about them. They do have a special look to them, and I, and I think that is a much better way to go. The instrument binnacle on this car is covered with leather and with white outline stitching. The steering wheel, again, you'll have seen this on many Aston Martins. Uh, it's fairly sensible, not too many controls on there, cruise control and control for the telephone and the audio system. Either side of the steering wheel, as with the Jaguar, uh, are the paddles to control the automatic gearbox. Only thing I would say about the car driver interface is that the indicator stalk and the windscreen wiper stalk on the respectively the left and the right of the steering wheel are not up to the quality of the rest of the interior. Centre console has an analogue clock and is covered in round dials uh, that are uh, sprayed in silver paint. They just don't have the feeling of those knurled aluminium knobs in the Aston Martin, piano black and silver here. And to be honest, I find the centre console a little bit busy in this Aston. Um, I haven't done a full inventory but i would say there's something like 20 maybe more buttons in there the main ones are for the gearbox because it is a push button gearbox park reverse neutral and drive on either side of the slot for the beautiful uh, aluminium and glass key that slots in there below that a small screen the cd slot and then all of your controls for the air conditioning and airflow underneath fog lamps, traction control, sport button, of which more later, and also the dampers button. Both of these cars have electronic handbrakes placed roughly where you'd expect them to be in the centre of the console. The Aston has its seat controls on the side of the centre console uh, if you're driving a right-hand drive car next to your left thigh. I 
has been a problem for me in the past that when driving spiritedly in Aston's that I have been able to knock those controls and move the seat. Um, it's not quite so bad on this car, in fairness. Lots of leather, lots of Alcantara, as you might expect, very nicely finished. Now, here in the centre console, there's a nice little cubby hole with the slot for uh, a USB connector or indeed an iPod MP3 player plus your extra power outlets jaguar has one in almost exactly the same place but whilst this one is finished with a nice rubber mat and uh, leather on the bottom the jaguars in fact all of the jaguars cubby holes are rather surprisingly when you first see them finished in a ver very deep purple velour and it's it's almost like a little secret which I, I do quite like with the jaguar you can't help but feeling a sense of occasion when you're inside this aston i'm i'm very impressed with it i would like the the buttons to be and the dials to be a little bit better well as both of these cars are meant to be four seaters the jaguar certainly is as we've reported with that extra room let's jump into the back of this aston and report I think from the, for the first time for me, from the back of an Aston Martin, from the back seat of an Aston Martin, sliding open the door, the rear window drops down to aid you getting into the car. It's, as you can probably hear, a rather tight fit. That's the rear window going back up again. Now, the chairs in the back of the Aston are rather re reminiscent for me of, uh, of sports seats. They're a fixed back, but they are quite comfortable. Now, I wouldn't like to go from one end of the country to the other in this, not without a couple of stops. However, you are sitting a little higher up than the front seats. Clearly not as much legroom as there would be in the extended Jaguar, but that's not really what's at issue here. Is it genuinely a four-seater? The answer is yes. I've got seat heating and cooling in the back, the same as I have in the front. I've got my own screen if I want to watch or listen to something, and I've got my own air conditioning as well. Behind me, there's a little cubby hole, little parcel shelf, if you like, and the backs of these, the well, actually the top third of these seats do fold flat in case you want to take some extra luggage so the exterior and the interior of these two british executive expresses looked at here but of course it will all come down to the driving experience which you'll be able to hear here on radiolamont.com real world road tests we're taking a look at two executive expresses, one from Aston Martin, one from Jaguar, the Rapide and the XJ Supersport. That's the long wheelbase supercharged version of the Jaguar V8. The Aston, of course, with a normally aspirated 6-litre V12 that has seen service in so many cars of theirs down the years, and indeed their Le Mans winning GT1 cars and prototype cars as well. Well, it's a bit of a blowy day today, so I'm going to get inside the Aston and fire it up. But before I do that, and before we go driving, there is something that you need to hear. And that is what happens when you fire up the Aston Martin. Did you get that? No? Okay. Because I never tire of this, let's do it again.
How good is that? Get ourselves settled in. The usual dinging of cars nowadays that let you know what is and isn't working. Now pulling away in the Aston Martin couldn't be any easier. You just push the D button and let off the brake and you are off and running. The first thing I should say about this Aston Martin is that it's actually pretty benign if you toodle around using it in the drive setting of the automatic transmission. Now, let's be honest, you're always aware you've got all that power and torque from the big 6-litre V12, but it is a car that you can use relatively easily in traffic. I know, I've tried it. The steering, which feels a little bit heavy at slow speed, and why wouldn't it with those size of wheels and tyres at the front, lightens up as soon as you get going. And the best compliment I can give this car is that dynamically, in most forms of driving, it barely is any different from any of its two-door, more sportier cousins. This four-door repeat, or should I say five-door, because, of course, it is a hatchback uh, to aid with versatility, uh, is immediately cossets you. You feel that you are in the car and not on it. And that is a real benefit for anyone who likes driving. You've got the choice at any time to start flicking around on the paddles and... Uh, making the gearbox work on its own and if you want to do that then it's a simple matter of just flicking the paddle down for down and up for up left and right you do have to remember though if you do that that it will stay in that touchtronic mode until you go back to hitting the big d if you want reverse you hit the r and if you want to go into neutral if you're pulling up, you can either pull both of the paddles back together or push the N button, and then you can do this. You see? Which is rather nice. It does automatically blip coming down, but remember, this is an automatic gearbox with a torque converter. This is not a double clutch or anything like that. In fact, this is exactly the same engine and gearbox setup that I drove in the Nürburgring 24 race version of this car at Silverstone a little while ago and you can still hear that on our archive. Now I said of that racing car at the time that it was probably one of the cars, certainly the racing cars, with as few nasty surprises as ever I could imagine. I'd used the words, I think I used the word benign on the car, just no vices really. Now, clearly the road car is a lot bigger and a lot heavier and... Sorry, a lot heavier, it's the same size, of course. But the only thing I'd say about the race, the race car versus the road car is you're a little more aware of the weight when you're braking on the, the road car. You've still got that glorious, sonorous V12 roar. And one thing that pulls these two cars together is the fact that their engine, their motive power plant on both of these cars is the literally the heart of the beast with the V12 roar from the Aston 6 litres and the supercharged, almost 
monster-like, certainly visceral sound of the supercharged V8 in the Jaguar, almost as if you were flying a World War II fighter plane when you wind that car up. So the question comes then, which of the two cars would you have? Well, the first thing you've got to say is that in price, the Jaguar wins by a country mile. You could have a good second-hand sports car for the price difference between these two new vehicles. Although in this storm black colour, it seems, as you heard there by the use of the horn, that we are completely invisible to other drivers. The Jaguar is a bit of a split personality for me. Sitting in the back of the Jag is a fantastic place to be, but then why would you have the supercharged version of such a dynamic chassis? And the big surprise to me from the Jaguar was just how well that car drove. It makes use of aluminium, as does this car, so the overall weight is pulled down. But if you really want to drive, then surely the Aston would be the better choice. Well, yes, but it's a much closer battle than you might have, might have thought. Indeed, if the Jaguar had slightly better weighted steering, I would say it would be closer still. So where does your money go? Well, this particular Aston that I'm driving at the moment, with about 3,000 miles on the clock, you could buy for probably less than £10,000 more than the new Jaguar is when it rolls out of the factory. And at that point, the decision becomes much more difficult. However, as I'm never going to have a hundred grand to spend on a car, it's a moot one for me. I suppose, in an ideal world, if you were being driven, you'd have the Jaguar, and if you were driving yourself, you'd probably have the Aston. So, just got to wait for those lottery numbers to drop, and then I can have one of each. The Aston Martin V12 Rapide and the Jaguar V8 Supercharged Long Wheelbase Supersport XJ. Two very, very good cars from two well-known British manufacturers. Another real-world road test from RadioLeMond.com. Check out more at RadioLeMond.com. This program is a Radio Show Limited production. For more, go to www.RadioLeMond.com. Radio Show Limited. We talk to the world.